thank you for that wonderful introduction. Is it okay if I don't use the microphone? Can everybody hear me? I think we'll be heard. Okay, so just imagine the scene. Someone is standing, filling up what we call from where I come from, petrol or gas. And he's filling up his car of petrol and he's minding his own business and he sees a very interesting sight. He sees the sight of people that work along the highway, fixing the roads, planting the plants, the trees along the highway. And he sees a very interesting sight. He says, I need to check this out. There's something wrong. There's something that doesn't make sense. So he finishes filling up his car, pays for the bill, and he drives over to where they are. And he sees a very interesting thing. He sees two fellows with these yellow jackets on the side of the road. One of them has a spade, and the other one has a bucket. So the one with the spade is digging these holes, finishes the hole, happy with what he's seen, moves on to the next spot where he, you know, digs the next part of the hole. The guy behind him has got a bucket. He gathers together all the earth that the guy just dug up, and he refills the hole. And he said, this is ridiculous. This is what we're spending our tax on. This doesn't make any sense. One guy's digging the hole, the other guy's filling the hole. What's the purpose of this? And he says, excuse me, what are you doing? He says, what do you mean? We're doing very important work. We're planting trees along the highway. It's beautiful to see the trees. He said, what trees? You're not doing anything. You're digging and refilling. He says, no, sir, you have to understand. Today, there's just me and Johnny. Normally, Dave is here. Now, Dave is sick today. Now, Dave's job is to plant the tree in the hole. My job is to dig the hole, and the other guy is to fill the hole. The guy who normally plants the tree, he's not here, but we figured that if he's not here, we may as well continue our work. There's no reason why we shouldn't continue doing what we do. It doesn't make any sense, right? Why would someone do that? The truth is, many of times in our lives, we do so many things, but we don't even think about what we are doing and why we're doing them. We don't appreciate sometimes the greatness of what we have within our own hands in an incredible way. As the marshal, the famous marshal goes, somebody's walking on the street, and as he's walking along the road, he sees a hundred dollar bill floating down. He says, this is my lucky day, this is wonderful. There's a hundred dollar bill floating down. He quickly picks it up. He waits there, is there any more? Another hundred dollar bill comes up. This is, this is amazing. And he looks up and he sees there's a young child that's got his legs dangling between the rails of the marpeset of the porch and he's got his father's wallet in his hand and slowly but surely he's emptying it onto his street to the delight of this wonderful cute little child. And he watches the scene unfold. Now the father comes onto the porch and says, what are you doing young Kala? And he grabs back the wallet. He says, I can't believe you did that. Looks over to see if he can retract any of the money that his son put down. What an amazing thing. But to the child, it's a hundred dollar bills that are nothing. It's pieces of paper with faces on it. It doesn't mean anything. Because if you don't appreciate what you have, then you could just let it go. And that's something that I want to spend a bit of time on this morning discussing. Shvuas is almost here. We're holding almost by Erev Kabbalah Satoya, an amazing yontav. It's a yontav that we start already from Pesach, the second day of Pesach. We're already counting Hayom, Yom, Echad, Lo'omer. One day, two days, three days, with, with anticipation, with excitement, that the Kabbalah Satoya is coming up. We're going to receive the Torah and Shavuos all over again. It's amazing for the men. But what about for the women? How amazing is it? For the, it what is Shavuos representing to the women? Well, how does it work on the other side? 
What does it mean? Is it all about finding the latest recipe? Of the, is that the taxi driver on the way here says to me, are you going to give them recipes of cheesecake? Is that what you're going for? I said, no, that's not what I'm going for. But unfortunately, sometimes, I, is that what it's all about? Figuring out this year's new recipe of cheesecake to figure out what we can do. You know, the husbands come home after a whole night of learning and they've been staging a whole night. It's wonderful. They're exhausted. They want to go to sleep. And your day just begins. The kids are up. You've got to keep them quiet. Take them out of the house because your husband needs to have a rest before the suit up. What type of yontav is this? What yontav of Shavuos is going to do for us? That's the question. And that's something that I really want to work on over here. The Gemara tells us in Brachas, the Gemara asks a famous question. And the Gemara asks, with what mitzvah, with what schar does a woman receive her oilam haba, her tchias hamesim? Well, how does it work? What is it that gives a woman the greatest schar possible? And the Gemara says two things. The Gemara says, number one, waiting for her children, sending off her kids to Cheder in the morning. And the other thing, sending off and waiting for her husband to come back from learning. That's an amazing thing. Out of all the mitzvahs that a woman can do, whether it's the mitzvah of taking challah, whether it's the mitzvah of hadlokas and neiris, whether it's doing chesed, whether it's davening, there are so many amazing mitzvahs that women take part in. But yet, Chazal tell us, the one and only, the sole mitzvah, that causes every woman to go straight to Gan Eden. That schus is because why? They're sending your kids and your husband out to learn, whether it's a whole day, whether it's half a day, an evening seder, it's irrelevant how much it is. But that's what it's all about. Why? What about all the mitzvahs? What about everything else? Apparently, the Gemara is telling us something very profound. And that is that a woman's role in helping, in allowing her husband, to be able to learn something is of the greatest mitzvahs that can be done. And that facilitates the schar that comes together with that. Now we have to understand, in order to really understand it, what is Torah? Let's understand a minute. What is Torah? We all know Torah is a very important thing in many people's lives, but why? What's it all about? So I'll give you one marshal. Imagine a man taking a walk by the beach. And he's taking a walk by the beach, minding his own business, and he hears splashing. So he takes a look at the water, and he sees a hand grabbing in and out, bobbling out the water. So, oh, somebody's, somebody's drowning. So he kicks off his shoes, he darts it straight to the water, jumps in, he's a professional swimmer, he swims all the way in, he grabs the guy. At that time, already there's a crowd all over the beach over there, like wondering what's going on, what's happening. And he comes out with this guy on his back, he saved his life. Everybody's cheering, everybody's, wow, what a sluss. He saved somebody's life. Is there a greater discuss in the world than saving somebody's life? And it's not just his life, right? Because this guy is going to get married one day and he's going to have children. And those children are also going to have children. So can you imagine, he didn't just save one life, he saved maybe hundreds if not thousands of people's lives because of one act of jumping in and saving somebody's life. That's an amazing thing, right? However, you learn a Gemara, the Gemara in Megillah tells us, Omar of Yosef, Says the Gemara, down the street from that beach is a little old base medrash. And there's a guy there who's decided to stay after Mara for a few minutes. He wanted to learn some Mishnais. Innocent, learning some Mishnais after davening, beautiful. Says the Gemara that that guy in shul, learning the Mishnais, is greater than the guy that jumped in and saved his and all his future generations' life. 
Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't save somebody's life, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't work in Atzala. Well, those are wonderful, wonderful things. But what it means is, in Shomayim, they look at Oyid, that is sitting and learning Torah as the greatest act that can ever be. It is the greatest act that a person can do. An amazing thing, the Mishnah. In Mesechtus Peir says that Torah is connected equals all the mitzvahs. That when a Yid learns one word of Torah, it's as if he's done all the mitzvahs. He's shaken lulav and he's eaten matzah and he's done everything he needed to do in one word of Torah. The Nefesh HaChaim, Reb Chaim Belozhan says that if the world would take place in a situation where not one person in the world would be learning Torah, if such a, if it ever could exist because of the time zoning that we have, if there would ever be a moment that the world would be without one word of Torah, the world wouldn't exist. It would go back to what it was before Maisa Bereshis. It would go back to Torah of Such is the Koyach of Torah. In fact, the Chesam says, that's the reason why there are two days of Purim. Why are there are two days of Purim? In Yerushalayim and outside Yerushalayim. The answer is very simple. Because you need people learning the whole time. And Purim is a busy day. People are running down doing mitzvahs, shlachmanas and Sudan, preparing and everything. Who's got time to learn? So we have to make sure, says the Chesam that someone's learning. That's why we have two days. Torah is the blueprint of the world. Chazal tell us that the Rabbani Shalom looked at the Torah and created the world. That means the world is a replica of the Torah. The Torah is the blueprint. Just like when you have a house. And before you build the house as a blueprint, you have to see how it's made, how it's designed, all the floors, where you're putting the, you know, the electric points and everything. The world was created by the Hashkodesh Baruch Hu looking at the Torah. I was asked once to speak in the Tanya in the shul, in the Tanya, and a fellow came over to me, an older man, and he says to me, Rabbi, I want to tell you a story. He says, 10 years ago, he was diagnosed with cancer, and he said to the Rabbi Shalom, Rabbi Shalom, I don't learn anything, but you know what? I'm 60 years old. It's never too late. I'm going to start. Not only, he told me, am I going to start learning, but I'm going to start a shir of Dafayomi in my shul. It was a shawl of retired people, people that generally had more time on their hands. He said, you know what? That's it, we're going to do it. I'm 60 years old, it's not too late, I'm going to start a shi. And that's chus, keep me alive. He said to me, I'm 70 years old now, it's been 10 years. Baruch Hashem, I finished Shas and beyond. And he said to me, clearly, I feel that it's the Torah that's keeping me alive. That's keeping me going in this world. So now that we understand just a little bit of the magnitude of what Torah is and what it does to the world and what it does to our lives, we have to understand how does it relate to us. We're not sitting in the base Medrash. You're not obligated to sit in the base Medrash. Torah is not for women, right? No, no woman is chayiv to learn Torah. A man is. So how does it relate to us? Every person, every human, is composed of two elements. There's the spiritual side, chelik al the part that the neshama that came from the kisah covered came from the rabbi nishalayim gave us, and then there's the chelik of the physical side. Chazal tell us the Gemara in Ervin that originally, when the rabbi nishalayim created the human, male and female were together. It was one body of male and female until the Torah said, "It's not good for man to be alone." Says the Svarna, you know what that means? It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for there to be one unit. There needs to be two separate units. And therefore they were separated into male and female. But, there's a reason. Because if they were going to be separated, why did the Rabbi Yishalayim originally create them together? 
Because even when they're separate, even when there's two separate units, there is something that each one can do to complement the other. There's something that each of them can do to, to make shlemus, to make whole what the other one cannot do. One was created with a more spiritual inclination, and the other one with a more physical inclination. But both of them have a part of each. Therefore, the vital role of every woman is to machazik, is to give koyak, to give strength to her husband who is able to sit and learn. And through that, she receives everything. Like Rabbi Akiva, we're holding now in the sphere at a time where we know the Gemara tells us in Yavomis, the Talmudim Rabbi Akiva died at this time, 24,000 Talmudim. That wasn't easy, by the way. 24,000 Talmudim. You know, there was no like WhatsApp group or WhatsApp or status that he could post saying, I have 24,000 Talmudim on Yeshiva. You know, campaign coming up, charity, match twice. It wasn't an easy thing to have Yeshivas. It wasn't easy to have Talmudim and he lost 24,000 of them. What an amazing thing. But what did he say? Shali Shalach. Everything that mine belongs to her. That doesn't mean it's a 50-50 partnership. You know, he'll do his part, I'll do my part. Wonderful, we'll meet in the middle somewhere. No. The Pshat is the Rabbani Shalom creates as the Gemara and Erevin, a male and a female, originally together, and then split them to show that Be'etzem, when they do things to help each other, they are whole. And the schar that one gets, the other gets. That means the involvement of a woman in every aspect of a husband's learning, whether it's organizing the house, whether it's cooking, whether it's typing, the, whatever it may be. Things that we look at as such physicality, like what do we need to do this for? This is not chashav. This is not important. No, it is. Every act in the physical world that you do for your home, for your husband, as a chizik for his life, as a chizik for Torah, brings Torah into your life, brings Torah into your home. And the schar, as we said, is unimaginable. But it goes much deeper than that. Much deeper than that. And I think this is something, I speak about this all the time, because I really believe in this, and this is something important. Very often I sit with a young couple before they get married, and one of the questions they ask, should we really go to Koilo? Should we? You know, is it right? Am I going to go to work one day? Is there any point? I haven't got any money. I have to spend my hasna money, whatever it is. I have to borrow money. Is it important to spend life in the beginning, at least, of marriage in Torah? How chashev is it? So to that I answer as follows. If we look at the world that we live in, we're doing very well. If we look at the report card, look at the report card of Kalali Yisrael, we're doing amazing. There's yeshivas all over the world. There's coils everywhere opening up. There's gemachim. There's base Yaakovs. It's, it's unreal. Kalali Yisrael has exploded in one, in one direction at least. It's amazing. But there's something missing. There's something missing. The Badichiva, the Haliki Kedushas lady, once called in the whole community in Badichev. I need everybody, men, women and children. Everybody has to come in to the main shul in Badichev. So everybody comes in, what's the rabbi going to tell us? Wow, what speech? What is the Megalachos and the Sheikh is coming? What's going to be? So they all get there. And the Badichev gets up, it's late at night, everybody's there. And he says, Rabbi, I just want to tell everybody one thing. And they're waiting. Silence. It's like a pin drop you can hear. It's amazing. And you know what he says? He says, just remember there's a Rabbi Nishalaylam. Huh? He was talking to a from crowd. He was talking to Shem Shabbos people, people that were religious, people that were Hasidish, people that were... Huh? The Badichiva understood that sometimes we live a life, but without the Rabbi Nishlalem. We'll daven, we'll, be, we'll eat kosher, we'll keep yontif, we'll do everything we need to do. But where's the Rabbi Nishlalem? Where does the Rabbi Nishlalem fit into our lives? That's the issue. 
Reb Schwab, Zatzal, asked the Chavetz Chaim. And he said, we all know that the mon that fell to the Klal Yisrael in the Midbar tasted whichever way you wanted it to do, according to what you thought of. If you thought of pizza, pizza, sushi, sushi. Whatever you thought about, that's what it was. Amazing. Ask the Chavetz Chaim. What if you didn't think of anything? What happens if you ate the mon without thinking of anything? You just ate it. And the Chavetz Chaim said, well then, it tasted of nothing. And explain the Chavetz Chaim. In our lives, it's the same thing. If we don't learn to think about what we're doing and why we're doing it, Yiddishkeit tastes of nothing. And I have heard this so many times from so many people all over the world, from boys, from girls, from married, not married, it's irrelevant. It, it, I don't feel it. It's nothing. I don't feel anything. Part of the problem is, is that we ourselves, in our own homes, don't think. We don't give this the thought that we should do and act upon that. In the Torah, we say in the morning, The Rabbani Shalom selected us from all the other nations. We're going to say it in Shavuos as well. And he gave us the Torah. Explains with Shlomo Freifeld an amazing insight into Birchas HaTorah that we say every day. He says, you know, in previous generations, the second part of the bracha was a challenging part. But Nosan Lonerus Torah said that was challenging. Keeping Shabbos was a challenge. Going to work on a Sunday to find out that you've lost your job because you didn't show up the day before on Shabbos. Kashras, things were difficult. But Nosan Lonerus Torah said that was the challenge of the previous generation. It was hard to keep Torah. Now, it's not hard to keep Torah. There's restaurants all over the world. There's minyanim everywhere you go. It's not hard to keep Torah, keeping Shabbos. It's a legal right in every country. What's the problem? Says Rav Shlomo Freifeld, the first part of the bracha became our generation's struggle. Do we really feel that we're separate? Do we really feel that we have a minor, we have an advantage, we have a higher existence? Do we really feel that we are the Rabbi Shalom's chosen nation and we are who we are? We don't try to be somebody else. I'll tell you, reminds me of a Chassidish Yid. He's a little bit struggling in his life and he walks into the local electronic store in New York and he didn't look like a typical Chassidish Bacha. He wasn't wearing a Chassidish garb and his pants were like sort of behind the ears so nobody could see them. And he goes over to the front and the behind the counter and he says, excuse me, sir, how much is that television? So first, says, I'm really, really sorry. We don't sell televisions to Hasidah Shabbat. Okay, fine. He goes out. A month later, he comes back. This time, his mamish has got, you know, jeans, torn, and, you know, mamish looks the part, walks in, says, how much is that television? I'm really sorry. We don't sell televisions to Hasidah Shabbat. Huh? Another month later, by the name he's got piercings and he's got earrings and mamish, show me what he looks like. He goes into the store and he says, excuse me, sir, how much is that television? The guy says, I'm really sorry. We don't sell televisions to Hasidah Shabachrim. He says, I don't understand. How do you know? I look completely different. Come on. He says, what are you talking about? That's a microwave. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes we are trying to be someone that we're not. We don't realize who we really are. And that's the problem. In our generation, that we were chosen by the Rabbi Yishalom to be his nation, to learn his Torah, to keep his mitzvahs, to act in the way that we act. Yiddishkeit has to permeate our entire being. It's who we are, it's how we act, it's everything about us. When Torah becomes that in our homes, when the values 
are set according to the Torah, when we realize who we are and how special of a life we have, we can then give that over to future generations. There is no way that a child will ever want to have a geshmak in a gemara if it's a boy, or do mitzvahs as a girl, or do anything Yiddishkeit when they're older. If all they see from the older generation, from their parents is, this is difficult, this is annoying, this is hard. It's in the way. We'll do it, but it's in the way. When they see a parent that's got a geshmak, when they see a parent, and they see that we're sending Tati now, he's going to Kolol, he's going to learn a bit before Shachos, whatever it may be, they see that Torah means something in your home, that changes the whole home. And it changes everything about the home, and it changes everything about the children. When we live a life that's directed by Torah, our lives become totally different. Our lives become a life full of direction, full of meaning, full of accomplishment, full of connection to the Rabbani Shalom. That's what it's all about. And we sometimes don't appreciate it. You know, there was a story here in Yushalayim, quite a few years ago. There was a girl in seminary. She found out one day, classic story, she found out one day she's not Jewish. Whatever the story was, her mother told her, whatever, you're not Jewish. So you got the head of the seminary over here, found out that one of his students, one of his, you know, tell me that she's not Jewish. What does he do? He went to Rabbi Yashu's, that's how. So what I do is an Arab Shabbos. So Rabbi Yashu said to him, get a basin together, quietly, we don't want to spoil her shidduchim, obviously. So get a basin together, and you'll make a Jewish. She'll agree, she's an adult, she's 18 years old, you can make a Jewish, and no one will ever know anything about it. That's exactly what he did. He went to what was called the Badat Sa'edis HaCharedis HaSfardi, and he got three Dayonim together. The girl brought some of her roommates, some of her friends from seminary, you know, just to cheer her on at the time. And I don't know if you've ever, I have an idea of what goes on over there, but it's an amazing thing. They ask questions. Are you sure you want to be Jewish? Do you realize that right now, if you take a tissue from inside the house, when there's no Eruv, outside the house, you know, now you're okay. But after you're Jewish, you're going to be higher for that. That's Mahal Shabbos. They went through all the halachas and all the... And she said, yes, 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 I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it. She became a yid. Beautiful. You know what her friends said? Her friends said afterwards, I wish that we would have got those questions. I wish that someone would have sat us down at some point and said, do you realize the life that you're living is a life of purpose, a life of higher existence? We don't. We don't get the questions, Baruch Hashem, because we were born from Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. But we have to think about the questions. They have to mean something to us. Because that can change our homes, it can change our being, it can change our direction in life. I want to just tell you a few stories. There was a Yid in the shtetl, just after World War II. And he invited the Olam, there was a little sign in the shtetl, in the shtibel over there. I'm inviting the Gansa Olam, everybody's invited to a seam. Okay, not a crazy thing, not a rare occurrence. Invited to a seam, wonderful. So they walk in expecting a little bit of herring, some cake, maybe if they're lucky, maybe a little bit of liquor or something. They come and they see a full Fleischig event. Mamish, the whole tables are laid with meats. And what is going on over here? What is this scene? What did he do? That's an amazing accomplishment. What's going on? So they asked him to explain, and he got up and he explained. He said, I want to explain to you, Pshah. He said he was in the concentration camps. And he was in one of the barracks. And one of the Yidden that was sitting, lying next to him, was always murmuring something. And this Yid turns to him and says, my dear fellow Yid, could you do me a favor? He says, sure. What can I do for him anyway in such a situation? He says, do me a favor. I do Chazara of 10 blat of Gomorrah every single day. I'm about to finish Shas, but I'm missing Mesechtus Nazir. I don't feel I'm going to make it through the night. Would you finish Mesechtus Nazir if I don't make it through the night? 
And his seed said, sure, no problem. But Imit Hashem, you're going to make it and give him chizik. Next morning, he sees this dismay that unfortunately the fellow next to him didn't make it. And he made that see him. When Torah means something to someone so much, therefore, that's the reason why Torah continues. Just before the beginning of World War II, there were many organizations that were saving Yidden all over the world, especially in Europe. And there were a group of youngsters, it was called Kinder Transport, they used to take them from various places. And there was one particular group that was formed in England. And in England, even at that point, the war was just about to start, but there were no bombs flying everywhere. They were trying to get children into various homes to save them, keep them okay, keep them Jewish. And they found one particular home that they set up, not only food, not only shelter, they also set up Torah classes, they had shiurim going on, these were young kids as well, they taught them the other face, they taught them chumash, mishnais, it was a system that they had to keep these children as hidden. The war started, money started to deplete, bankruptcy, inflation, things became terrible. Until eventually the money that they had to keep this face going was gone. So they came into the chief rabbi of London, Rabbi Chetzkel Abramsky, one of the Gedolei Ador, and the chief rabbi of London had a meeting with all the Askonim, and they said, listen, we have no more money. They were reporting to him, we've tried, we've gone to everyone, we've done whatever we can to make money, it's gone, there's nothing left. What we're going to do is we're going to transfer these children to another shelter, they'll have shelter, they'll have a home, they'll have a bed, they'll even have kosher food. Sure, we won't be able to give them, what can we do? So Chazka Babaki said, no, 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 we cannot have children without a Jewish education. It cannot be. Is there anyone else that we can approach? And he said, there is. There's one Jew. He's a Jew that's completely not religious. The only time he goes into a shul is for his parents' short sight to say Kaddish by, by, by car on Shabbos. He has no connection to Yiddish guy. He's got a lot of money. He's not going to help you, Rabbi. He said, we have to try. For these children, we have to do it. So he called up the man, says, the chief rabbi of London, I need an emergency appointment. Sure, rabbi, no problem, whenever you want. Gets in a taxi, off they go with a few other rabbonim. They go to Rabbi the chief rabbi of London. And he said to him, he said, I'm talking about something of Pekuach Nefesh. This is a matter of life and death. So the man listens and says, sure, rabbi, tell me, what is it? What do you need? He said, these children, they don't have a home. They're going to go to another place. There's not going to be shurim. There's not going to be any tire there. The wealthy man starts to laugh. He says, you told me you're talking about the Kuach Nefesh. You told me you're talking about a life and death situation. It's not life and death. They'll have a home. They'll have food. No. So they won't have Torah. So they won't have Shiurim. What's the worst in the world that will happen? That's not the Kuach Nefesh. I give money to the Red Cross, he said. He started to list all the organizations that he gives money to. I don't need to give money to you. Rabbi, our meeting is over. The rabbi didn't know what to do. He left. And he had a plan. That Friday night, at 11 p.m., the phone rings in the wealthy man's house. He picks it up. It's a regular, you know, a regular day. He picks up the phone, yes. Hello, this is Rabbi Abramsky, the chief rabbi of London. I'm calling you on a Friday night, Shabbos tonight, to tell you that giving money to these children is pikuach nefesh. It's life and death. And when he heard that, when he saw that the chief rabbi of London picked up the phone on a Shabbos to call him because children need to learn Torah, he said, Rabbi, how much money do you need? I'll give you whatever you need. The rabbi told him, he gave him everything. Because Rabbi Chetzkel Abramsky understood that without Torah, we have nothing. Torah is our life support. It helps us with everything. There was a famous Kamea. A Kamea is an ambulance. Some, sometimes when people reach situations and challenges in life, they reach the schoolers. So there's a schooler called an ambulance, a Kamea, where a big goggle would write it, 
something secretly would write in there, he would close it up, it would attach it to a chain, and whoever needed the Yeshua would wear the chain, and they would get a tremendous Yeshua. This amulet that we're discussing was written by the Taz, who lived in the 1600s. And he wrote such a command, it was known that anybody that needed something, they needed children, they needed a shidduch, they needed parnasa, they needed help, they wore this for a few days, they got a Yeshua. It was the most amazing command. At one point, not so many years ago, this command was passed down from generation to generation. And until one person decided, I'm opening the command. Now the rule is that you never open a command. Because the moment you open it up, it loses its power. So there were people that were so angry, how can you open it up? We're no longer going to be able to use it. And he said, what do you mean? I want to see what's written inside there. There's probably special combinations of Hashem's name, names of Malachim in there. I want to be able to replicate that. I also want to write a Kamea. And hopefully I'll be able to give more people the Yeshua that they need. So you can imagine the anticipation, the excitement. People were opening up the Taz's Kamea. 1600s he lived. A group, select people, was invited to his home. They opened it up. They were all waiting in anticipation. What's written in there? What are we going to see over there? Some amazing insights, some amazing names and letters and combinations. They opened it up. And they're utterly disappointed. But then they realized. What they saw over there was very simple. The Taz wrote that in the course of me struggling to understand, but finally understanding a toastless in Cholin, Tzadivov, this person that wears this amulet should have bracha and atzlocha in his life. And they're like, that's it? That's it? Because he learned the toastless once? We learn toastless every day. What's the big deal? But the Taz understood the koyach of Torah. The Taz understood what the koyach is, that when a person learns Torah, it changes his whole being. That's what this is all, all about. I want to tell you one last story. It's a Last week we had the Yotzad of Rabbanacha Mendel of Rimenov. Rabbanacha Mendel of Rimenov was known for Parnassa. He gave people tremendous Parnassa. He allowed people to get money, to have money, to become wealthy. But he himself was terribly poor. He had nothing. Literally lived off bread and water. He had nothing to his name. Every single morning, his Rebbeson would go to the local bakery and she would ask to have a bagel. She would buy it on credit because she didn't have anything, hoping one day she'd be able to pay it off. And she would have a bagel to give to her husband, the Rebbe, Rabbi Nachman Mendel of Rimenov. And she was happy with her avoider. She allowed him to learn Torah. She allowed him to get his Torah, his energy for the day, to spend the rest of the day immersed in Torah and Yerushalayim. One day, she comes to the bakery and she's just going to have the bagel for my husband. And the man behind the counter says, I'm really sorry. No. It's enough. You've taken bagel after bagel, day after day. You've never paid anything enough. Either you pay, or I can't give you the bagel. She said, but what do you mean my husband needs it? My husband needs this bagel without this. He's not going to be able to learn. He's not going to be able to do his avoida. You can't do this. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I can't help you. It's either you pay, or you don't get a bagel. So she says, is there anything I could do? She says, actually there is. You're a very hush of a Rebbitson. Rebbitson of the Heiliger Rebbe, Nachman Mendel of Rimenov. You probably have a lot of schar in Ganadin. Sell me your oilum haba. Sell me your Ganadin. You sell me that, I'll give you a bagel. No problem. Immediately. She didn't even think about it. 100%. Yeah, go. No problem. So they write a contract. They get Adim. She's selling her Ganadin portion to this man in order that she gets a bagel for her husband. Such was the godless that she understood what it means to have her husband eat something before he went to go learn. She comes home. She got the bagel in her hand. She gives the bagel to her husband. Her husband eats breakfast. He thanks his wife. And he starts to make his way out of the house to go and learn. As he does every day. And he noticed that his wife is crying. 
what's the matter? Why are you crying? What happened today? She says to him, do you know what I paid for that bagel? He says, no, what did you pay for that bagel? So I paid my ganeden, my whole oilam haibah, I paid for that bagel. You know what the women of said to her? He said, do you know what type of Gan Eden you get for giving up your Gan Eden for me to be able to learn? <laughs> you know, now we understand a little bit of what Torah is and what it does to our lives. We can understand that our ticket to Olam Abba is this exact idea. The chizat, the help, the support that we do in the homes in a physical way. Allowing him to learn, allowing him to go and learn in any form, in any time, whatever it is, whether it's a holder, whether it's a small amount of time, whatever it is, is the ticket to Olam Haba. And since women themselves are potter from Talmud Torah, this is their portion, this is their chalik, this is their idea. The greater the investment, the greater the success. Shvuas, a yontav that's coming up now, should be the greatest time for a woman when she looks back starts to think of her life, think of what Torah is for us, for our families, for our children, for the world in general, and what it does for us, and how we can make sure that Torah stays in our homes in any form. It's the, it's the limitations of everything. And Shavuos is that time where we look and see Kabbalah Satoru, the Rebbe Shum gave us the Torah, what would our lives look like if we didn't have Torah in it? You and your husband can only achieve true perfection when I have a combined effort within each other. And the Isa Hashem, we should all be zaycha to be makabal the Torah again, to have that mysterious nefesh. And when we do the Rabbani Shalom, we'll give us so much bracha and aslacha in all of our lives. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for coming.